What's up, everybody? It's Real Sun Car Hours. Real Sun Car Hours, your favorite Black Marxist political podcast, um, political commentary, current events from a Black Left perspective. Um, it's, been, got... it's been it's been a few weeks. I know some of you guys have been missing us. Um, yeah, people, but uh, you know, life gets in the way. But uh, we're back. You know, we were never we've never gone away, and. Uh, yeah, let's get into Yeah, it. we got a lot to talk about. Um, you know, uh, police killing in Ohio, uh, police killing in Brazil, um, and also this uh, leaked audio of this closed-door meeting that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had with uh, quote-unquote civil rights leaders who quote-unquote represent black people. But anyway, before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at AdamHudson5 on Twitter. I'm Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. And yes, it uh gives it gives me or I did you want to start? Oh, I just else? just a uh, uh, housekeeping. Um, All right. Follow us on Twitter at Sankara Hours. Also, Patreon.com/slash Real Sankara Hours. If you subscribe for five dollars a month, you get bonus episodes. So yeah, twice the episodes for five dollars a month. Um. So you get, you know, double the episodes. It's it's only five dollars a month, people. Um, you know, that you can support your support me um does mean something. Like it's it's a way to support independent black media. So yeah, five dollars a month, patreon.com slash real sun car hours. And um yeah, we're also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash real sun car hours, and you know, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter at following us at Sonkara Hours. And um also, be sure to follow the rest of the Resistance Noir crew, uh, Drop Squad, Afrogen, um, and we've been doing some Twitch streams as well. So, um, anyway, yeah, let, yeah, let's let's yeah, let's just get into this anyway. Just that's housekeeping is done now. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, um, another another day, um, another black man killed. Well by the police but not in my hometown columbus ohio but uh not by the columbus police department changing it up this time but instead by the franklin county sheriff's office slash u.s marshals um casey goodson jr was a 23 year old truck driver who's coming home from a dentist appointment and was literally like in the in the door of his house when I guess some fucking roided up fucking, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, pieces of shit, uh, had gotten their little murder boners up and they tried there cause they were serving a raid somewhere in Columbus, I think on the South side. And, uh, they didn't get, they didn't, I think the person wasn't home. So instead, I guess they just felt like they had to kill somebody. And, uh, they basically, you know, claimed he waved a gun or whatever, but he was literally just holding Subway, uh, Subway sandwich and his mask. And, uh, yeah, uh, but there's been a lot, but not to just, uh, not to just, you know, throw another instance of black death. There's been a lot of organizing, 
um, around around this. There's, you know, the family's been really involved. I've seen, you know, Facebook posts from members of the family. So I will just read a solid the statement put out um, by sort of kind of the main people doing work in Columbus, People's Justice Project, Black Abolition, Abolitionist Collective, uh, Central Ohio Freedom Fund, and Black Queer Intersectional Collective. And it just says, uh, um, and this is, this is good. It is crystal clear after years of concrete focus of analysis and organizing that the African working class, parentheses, Black people in every intersection, historically are open targets for state violence. This is not just by the hands of the colonial occupying military force commonly known as the police, but all institutions that administer social and economic control upon black people. This includes the cages, which houses droves of our siblings, brothers and sisters. It is the county jail where many of us cannot afford bail and are just sitting awaiting trial. Let me just say the county jail in Columbus is really fucking Mm. bad. Um... (laughs) This is the state prisons where companies and corporations profit off of prison slavery. This is the courthouse where we can be found walking in and out of the probation court, where oftentimes we are forced to negotiate with our place of employment the dates of such appointments, concluding loss of employment for lack of productivity or presence within our work environment. Thus, with these above contradictions, we have bore witness to, again, another young black man murdered by the hands of the state. Casey Goodson. According to his family, Casey Goodson literally walked across the yard, walked into the back fence to get the side door, had his subway sandwich and mask in one hand, keys in the other, unlocked and opened the door and stepped in the house before he was shot. However, this is not, we know this is not a new phenomenon for Ohio, particularly Columbus. Thus, the state and the city has blood on its hands. Mm. We acknowledge Casey Goodson by saying his name. We acknowledge Tamir Rice by saying his name. That was the uh, 12-year-old who was killed in Cleveland. Um, That was, uh, uh, by the way, under Obama as well. Yes, yeah. We acknowledge Henry Green, uh, who I believe was killed not very far from where I grew up. Um, We acknowledge John Crawford by saying his name. That was the one closer to Dayton when he was just in a Walmart. We acknowledge Julius Tate Jr. by saying his name. We acknowledge Tyree King. He was 15 um, by saying his name and countless others with these list of demands approved by Casey's family as follows. The immediate termination, arrest, and indictment of Michael Jason Meade for the murder of Casey Goodson Jr. Revocation of Jason Meade's pension. Transparency in the investigation and the release of all video and audio recordings. Immediate release of evidence to Casey's mother. The Franklin County Sheriff's Department cover the funeral expenses of Casey Goodson Jr. Fire Columbus Police Chief Quinlan for negligence in failing to contact Ohio BCI in a timely manner. Commitment from Franklin County Commissioners to divest from Franklin County Sheriff's Office. Commitment from Columbus City Council to divest from Columbus Police Department. We encourage and welcome comrades around the nation to organize solidarity protests, marches, and demonstrations with respect to the family and calling for justice for Casey and his loved ones. We must draw attention to several other lives lost because this is not an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. Let us come together in unity and power. 
And yeah, there have been a number of rallies. There's been pretty good coverage. Um, you know, everything's been peaceful. And uh, let's stay up on it. Um, let's just, but, you know, just just to uh, clarify some things, uh, because this is a little too on the nose. Uh, Jason Mead, the murderer, uh, is also an... Baptist pastor mm. who, uh, in 2018, um, had a sermon where he talks about, um, well, let me just read some of the quotes. Oh boy. Uh, this is, yeah, it, I think you can find it on YouTube. He says, it's a fact. It ain't cause I'm so good. You know why I learned long ago, I got to throw the first punch mm. and I learned long ago why I'm justified in for throwing the first punch don't look up here like oh police brutality people i hit you wish you could hit trust me. people i hit you wish you could hit trust me right ha 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 yeah every time i hit him i'm like that's for you that's for you referring to the audience it's not that bad i'm kidding but listen this is the truth it's very funny because he's he brings up uh david and goliath but uh he was in the marines stationed in israel mm. Of all places, mm. uh, so I you were on the fu- you were fucking Goliath, my my mm. dude. Um, I don't know if you figured that out, you know, but uh, fuck you, and uh, you know, that. well, we will, yeah, we will keep fighting for justice. Um, but because uh, this shit is international, yeah, isn't it? it is, and yeah. So, so um, speaking of international, uh. Going with the Pan-African spirit of this podcast, um, this happened um, almost last month, and uh, we kind of took a break a little bit, um, but, you know, I wanted to bring this up. So there is a police killing of a black man in Brazil, a 40-year-old black man. It happened at a supermarket. Um, There is this uh, supermarket called Carrefour. I think it's like a French supermarket with, like, you know... um, like branches in brazil uh so there is a video uh this 40 year old black man named jao alberto silvera freitas um this is on november 19th 2020 and today is uh uh well this is a bipolar bicoastal podcast so it's like december 13th slash december 14th 2020 so this is almost a month ago um i i guess he got in a fight with some guy like apparently punched punched one person and um the security guards who were contracted by this supermarket just beat the hell out of him like they pretty much like punched him in the head and knocked him to the ground like pinned him face down um i I think like kind of pinned him face down similar to george floyd and um he apparently died of suffocation so a lot of black Brazilians protested with the phrase, I can't breathe. Um, so, yeah, like he died uh, apparently of a suffocation or uh, asphyxiation. And, um, yeah, a lot of black Brazilians protested this. And I want to actually want to give some context. I'm going to, in the show notes, I'm going to put some info about the history of slavery and race in Brazil that I think, like, for. The United States, I think, is is important for us to realize because I think, 
you know, the transatlantic slave trade was not, didn't just impact the United States. It impacted like the entire Western hemisphere, the Caribbean, Central America, and, and South America. And Brazil was like the mo- most, yeah, most of the, like, or almost half of the enslaved Africans who were trafficked during the transatlantic slave trade were sent to Brazil. Um, now, the difference with Brazil and pretty much the rest of Latin America, Latin America, and particularly Brazil, puts forth this image that it's a quote-unquote racial democracy, which is the idea that um, all of Latin America is just sort of like this happy-go-lucky everybody is mixed there's no racism because how could we be racist when we're all just a happy mix of spanish indigenous and african and blah 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 right that's kind of the rhetoric that we get here in the west and it's also something that like is promoted by governments especially in brazil and this is i think there, there's a video i think did on vox that really drove this home uh, so Brazil was actually the last country to abolish slavery in the transatlantic slave trade. It was like the 1880s. The U.S. abolished slavery in 1860s, so Brazil followed like t- 20 years later, basically. So um, during the Cold War, the Brazilian government was basically said to the world that, hey, we're Brazil and we're a racial democracy. We're not like America and South Africa, which at the time had legalized mm-hmm. racial apartheid so this is a conscious effort by the brazilian government to say we are the shining example of racial harmony and was it was it this was during the military dictatorship? i think so yeah this was definitely like, during the cold war yeah so did, like the military <laughs> dictatorship era i believe uh um yeah so uh but it was a conscious effort and like you know uh, black brazilians i've talked to like say that that's like one of the major obstacles to challenging racism in brazil which is uh promoting this myth that brazil is a racial democracy but it's not just brazil like a lot of countries in latin america and even here in the u.s i think like the kind of things that we get about um you know like the term latinidad or latino in latin america this idea that everybody is mixed and that like okay yeah maybe there's slavery and colonization but like we're kind of past that. We're not like America. That's 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 that's, 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 that's a that's the kind of message we get here. And and I could I could say um one one example is like I remember uh before pre before the pandemic I was um at performing at a bar and there was a there was a white Colombian woman and her white boyfriend and they came closer because I was playing djembe and the the woman was interested because she said the djembe reminded her of like some of the drums in Colombia. Now, if you listen to Colombian music, there's a lot of like African style drums in Colombia and Latin America. So the African, African, traditional African drum I was playing reminded her of that. So she was kind of curious. And then after the performance, we were talking and they were telling about Colum- telling me about Colombia and the music. And one thing that the Colombian woman said was like, Oh, you know, there's no racism in Colombia, and the white boyfriend was like, "Yeah, like he, he was <laughs> the white American boy, white American boyfriend, and the Colombian woman who was like, you know, had a thick Colombian accent. But if you look at her, like she, I, when I when I when I saw her, I thought she was like Spanish or Italian. But they were both like, yeah, there's no racism in Colombia. And then I talked to black Colombians on social media, and they're like, nah, there's plenty of racism in Colombia. So. Colombia gives the U.S. a run for its money. <laughs> honestly, it's right. 
it's yeah nuts. yeah so like that i i wanted to bring that that's that's anecdotal but i think that actually does represent the image of latin america that we get here in the united states and i think this kind of ties into some of the discourse we've been seeing about like some black and indigenous latinx folks kind of canceling quote-unquote latinidad and basically challenging the anti-black racism and anti-indigenous racism of latinidad so like um really where that comes from is uh brazil was very pretty intense with this policy which is um the whitening process so in brazil it's called branqueamento and then in the rest of latin america spanish speaking is called blanqueamento so basically the idea was to literally whiten the populations of those countries usually uh through open immigration policies that encourage more european immigrants so even after world war ii a lot of former nazis went to countries like brazil and argentina um the president the, the president of, of brazil jair bolsonaro is actually of italian lineage but he's the president of brazil and so and he's also like very close with trump and all that so like there's there's a whole history of like former nazis going to latin america and and like latin american countries welcome them because they're like trying to literally trying to whiten their populations but also um the difference with racism in latin america versus the united states that i think is important for us here in the u.s to recognize is that in the united states like our racial we have a strict black white binary you're either black you're white i mean that's you know the one drop rule is like you know the probably the most clear example of that but like there's also you know a long history of legalized racial apartheid slash jim crow slash segregation that enforced this binary through you know law so it's like basically so it's yeah it's like south african style apartheid whereas in latin america black and indigenous people similar to here are on the bottom but the racism is more of a pigmentocracy it's like on a continuum so the whitest of white are at the top and then people who are black and indigenous are at the bottom if you want a good example look at costa paintings like there's a whole like kind of basically if you're like depending on like whatever mixture you have and and the the phenotype of your skin that kind of raises your um social and economic status and the kind of privileges you get uh and so whereas yeah there there's there's really no like i mean there's colorism here in america but there's no like kind of intense like pigmentocracy style of racism but i wanted to kind of mention it because like uh because sometimes here in the united states like i mean america in general like pretty much sucks with covering international stuff but also like even when it comes to understanding race across the diaspora like things are somewhat different but it's still like the same form of oppression so like brazil so with brazil there's been this um growing black pride movement in brazil and a lot of it is actually challenging like shit like police violence like what happened to uh freitas a uh, um, month ago so like i'm reading this um cnn article and uh um they mentioned a couple stats so like black and mixed race brazilians are basically over half the population but they constitute 79 percent of people killed by law enforcement in that country and there's like apparently 17 police killings per day in brazil 
Um, and then uh, also more than 40% of black and mixed race Brazilians live below the poverty line compared to less than 20% of white Brazilians. Um, yeah, and the inequality in oh, Brazil is... Yeah, it's extreme. Out of this world. Yeah, and um, Ana Paula de Oliveira, uh, she's a mother and activist, and um, uh, one of her... Her son was actually killed by police back in 2014, and she said that, you know, um, that this is usual. She said... Uh, there's a quote of, that she says, and she said... Um, she told this to CNN. Those of us who live in the favela see this violence daily. A slap when poli- police frisk you, breaking into your house without a warrant, and if I question it, I get beaten up. Um, and apparently, th- th- so this is from, so CNN said this. Brazil's Supreme Court has ruled that police can enter people's homes without a warrant if they have well-founded reasons to believe a crime is occurring. So this is similar, like... The, 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 oh yeah i mean yeah. they i mean they've literally learned it like they literally trained from the best yeah murka um so it's just like yeah like i wanted to mention this because like especially as we talk about um because people like are this whole black life the black lives matter as a slogan it's become global um and i really think like if anything like this is probably like for our generation like the closest thing we have to some sense of pan-Africanism politically, which is like the phrase black lives matter has become something that like black people globally can identify with and apply to their specific situations and start making connections because yeah, like police violence is not just like particularly like police violence against especially black people is not just the, it's not just an American thing. It's a global phenomenon. And I think Brazil is a good example of this. And uh, there is like, fortunately a rising black, uh, black pride movement in Brazil, because previously in Brazil, like it was pretty normal. Like if you were, you know, clearly black people would identify as like, Oh, I'm tan or I'm this like different types of racial categories. But there's, there's been a growing movement of basically people, black Brazilians, really claiming their black identity with a real sense of uh, pride. And um, actually, so the thing that was actually pretty offensive about Freitas' death is that he died right before Black Consciousness Day, which is an official holiday in many Brazilian cities. This is from CNN. An official holiday in many Brazilian cities that honors the country's African heritage. So like, the music style of samba like that's very african uh derived also quilombos are basically kind of black communities of um established by uh runaway slaves in brazil um i think there's a city called bahia which is like kind of like brazil's wakanda it's like the probably one of the blackest mm-hmm. cities in the americas and there's a lot of like black culture uh they're preserved so um yeah like i I, so like i mean this i mean yeah i i hate talking too much about black death but one of the reasons why i wanted to mention this is because i think um especially as we segue into our our next um item to discuss (laughs) i i i think like um 
there really needs to be a greater push to to have international solidarity of black people across the world because we're all pretty much fighting like the same, the same yeah the system. same system and the same fight on different fronts and to me it's like to, to me it's like we're all like fingers that are sort of fighting as like our own unique finger would really like we have to ball those fingers up into a fist and and i think um you know those of us who are you know black americans who are here in the united states like you know like i i would love to like build more bridges with our black african brothers and sisters throughout the diaspora and the continent because you know yeah we are fighting against the same system like that is the pan-african spirit is recognizing that like okay you know we have our different experiences and you know specific identities when it comes to blackness and african identity but fundamentally we're fighting against the same system globally like this is like it like this this system of oppression is global it's not just a a it's not just a united states thing you know and uh we're here in the united states so that's what we focus on because it's you know this is where we're at but you know this is this is still a uh global issue um i i haven't looked into two like you know in terms of activist groups on the ground in brazil um, but if I find some, I'll, I'll just probably post some links in the show notes. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Casey Goodson, uh, Jao Freitas, um, so many others who've been killed by this system globally. But I, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, the, the fight really has to be elevated to an international level. And I think, uh, you know, people doing work wherever they're at uh it, it'd be good for us to start building bridges with each other which that'll that'll be a good segue actually into oh, this this the i probably like the the meat of this episode actually which is this fucking joe biden yeah the tofu the tofu let's not be uh carnist oh right right yeah there you go <laughs> there is there is a uh closed door meeting with joe biden and kamala harris they were it was a, it was a zoom right call. yeah uh and, and closed door i i have a feeling that like like leaks like like the meeting was leaked i feel like there's probably an understanding that was gonna get leaked even though they're like said nobody record i mean or at the very least any of those closed door meetings are always conducted with like the expectation that someone in the press might find out about it yeah but so so this was uh joe biden and kamala harris met with civil rights leaders and um the audio and the video got leaked by the intercept um hat tip to uh ryan Grimm. he was the one who got the scoop um and joe biden was just his usual love i mean yeah he just just showed how much of a fucking dick he is um, I mean, like, yeah, Pete, a, a, shri- a shriveled up, uh, <laughs> you know, barely hanging on dick. Yeah. What um, was your reaction, Peter? Like, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Um, I, you know, the classic Biden just, uh, talking down, talking down to the people. He, like when I said he has Rhodesian vibes, this was a very good ex, yeah. uh, 
demonstration of that. Uh, he was in his full Rhodesian self because it was very much like he literally told. I mean, I don't know if uh, John, Joe Biden almost called him John hmm. Biden. If Joe Biden has ever read, you know, letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King, where he talks about, you know, the big one of the main problems being the white moderates who tell people to slow down. But he literally did just tell like a group of uh, civil rights leaders to uh, slow down and not push too hard. And it's yeah. like, uh, what? But also he apparently had he's lectured them in, that in 2040. You will, uh, it will be a white minority country and you'll have to work with the Hispanics. Well, uh, you know, cause they outnumber you. <laughs> it's just like, uh, what? <laughs> actually, like, um, well, actually, let, let's get in on that because I think we were, we were talking about it before, before yeah. this recording. And this actually ties in with what I was talking about with, uh, Brazil because there's this whole, like, um, I think some people who are like, just have a really piss poor understanding of race think that oh the thing that'll cur- cure racism is just have you know more quote-unquote minorities have it be a majority minority which does not make sense because a minority cannot be a majority like you're either yeah, a majority yeah. or you're not so therefore that means like yeah it'll be at some point in the near future the united states will be a majority non-white country and actually um a lot of uh, this was a couple of years ago, but um, the the children who are being born right now, like basically, I think now around this time, most uh, I read some stat that like most children who are born are not white. So basically, like, the newborn children, there's there's basically more newborn non-white children than white children right now. Like we've passed that threshold, so yeah. that means yeah, like within. Um, you know, 15, 20 years at some point, um, the United States is going to be a majority non-white country. Wow. That is true. Pos- I mean, yes. I mean, that is that is the demographic trend. But of course, the United States has engaged in, you know, a number of uh, open ethnic cleansings, not counting the original genocide. But I mean, I'm talking about things like Operation Wetback, where they just deported a million and a half uh, Mexicans, many of whom were U.S. Mm -hmm. citizens. And they may just do I mean, that's a big part of what all the, you know, deportations under ICE are about, is you know, trying to push that off. Because, yeah, I mean, the far right is obviously very concerned about that. But, uh, you know, the Democrats always like to talk about this, you know, demography is destiny, because they think they can just like, wait out the Republican Party. It's extremely paternalizing. Or, yeah, patronizing and paternalistic um, because they think that, like, oh, well, we don't ever have to earn the votes of these people. They'll just always be right. ours. Uh, and we just got to wait for the census to come in. But it also um, kind of doesn't matter in the sense yeah. of, like, that's not... Um, like, you like white people may not be a demographic majority, though... Also, that's white non-Hispanic, and Hispanic is not a race. Latino is not right. a race. Yeah, that that's and that's so... really important. It that ties into what I was saying about like the whole racial democracy myth of Latin America. Like, yeah, like it's not a Latino is not a race, and there's no like 
there is no like racial harmony that exists in Latin America. And I think Brazil is a very, very clear example of that. So yeah, the p- people, Latinos, not a race. Yeah. There's different races of people who are from Latin American countries. Yeah. It, yeah. And so, you know, there are, you know, number of white uh, Latinos <laughs> and many of them will be assimilated um, because they've always just kind of like, you know, when Irish people first showed up, they weren't considered white. And then they made them all cops. Well, not all of them, obviously, but, you know, then they they then they are allowed to be white and Eastern Europeans and Italians, same thing. And so there may be, they may try to do that or, you know, maybe do an ersatz whiteness. But even then, like, it doesn't matter because that's not how, like, the power structure is not going to, uh, that is not going to change. Like, it'll still be a white power country. And, and I think something I've been thinking about, cause, you know, sovereignty has been like, I guess, kind of the new, or it's bubbling up as the new buzzword, um, which is good because it's something that America doesn't like to talk about. And, you know, it, quite, there's a question of like, you know, where does America, like, what is the basis for a nation's sovereignty? It's usually like in the ascent, you know, ASSENT, like willingness of the agreement of the people of that nation. Um, in America, in the United States, like sovereignty really is based in whiteness. Um, the, like, it doesn't, you know, there's a fair, there, there can be enough, you know, there can be plenty of non-white people and they can even have, you know, some level of power in the government or, you know, be some business owners, but that won't, the, like, um, the United States will never let that compromise white sovereignty, which is to say that white people are have the you know base basis to do whatever they want with the country and everyone else is just living in it yeah um, that is that is what we mean by white sovereignty and that and it doesn't matter what the demographics are that's not going to be compromised. right that's the thing yeah because like people think like just having uh demography automatic people i think wrongly assume that demography automatically equals power which is like you know california i think because my perspective might be a little bit different because california has long been a quote-unquote majority minority state but there's still racism within california especially on an institutional level so you can still have institutionalized and systemic racism that keeps non-whites at the bottom and white people at the top but still have like a, a, a place that is majority non-white. And again, this also ties into Brazil. Brazil as a country is majority non-white. You have black and mixed race and indigenous Brazilians who make up the majority of the country. White Brazilians are not, they're, they're technically the minority in terms of numbers, but it, you know, once you start breaking down stats, especially when it comes to poverty levels and police shootings and all the things that matter when it comes to, um, having real you know like peter said sovereignty and and power and privilege and social and economic status like that that is all still going to be um uh divided all along racial lines like so it's not just a yeah. class thing like and this is yeah like kind of getting away from like some of the 
class-centric leftists, like, you know, economic opportunities can still be divided with along class lines. So you can still maintain a um, hierarchy of whiteness and a and a power structure that is racialized while, with white people being the demographic minority. So, yeah, we can have, like, okay, sure, you can have, like, more diversity quote-unquote and all that and more quote-unquote representation and be like oh cool like america is a majority non-white country that means like ooh, we really kicked off that sin of slavery and genocide right because everybody here is you know all brown and tan and black and yellow and red and we're all just you know happy right and it's like okay yeah you can still have that but that white people were only 15 percent of south africa right yeah like, south africa is another huge example like white people are the minor- minority in south africa but still may still have like all the power and privileges in, in south africa so yeah like you, yeah. you can have yeah. all the diversity you want all the representation but when it comes to power and and um rights and and privileges and, and yeah. economics like you know that'll still be uh divided along racial lines with black and brown and indigenous people at the bottom so you know like this uh, yeah like the whole and i think joe biden was um saying that like okay like these civil rights leaders um they are just a relic you know people like alice sharpton are like just at this point kind of like dinosaurs at this point like they're they're very yeah i i remember back like in the ferguson days like they literally had to interrupt al sharpton sharpton and tell him to like be quiet till it just let like the actual uh young activists speak yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and, these are like the legacy uh political class yeah people. and the what like you know th- this this class of like black quote-unquote civil rights leaders are just very very ineffectual but the way joe biden was talking to them was just so fucking rude and like you know, I, I don't really have much love for people like Al Sharpton, but the way he was just condescending was just like, yeah, his real like Rhodesian um, neo-segregationist overseer mentality yeah. was really on full display in, in that audio, in that video, in that in that meeting. So just like there is just a there is just a level of um, contempt for black people. Yeah. That he yeah. Was I mean, he he very much was like upset that he had to be there yeah. uh and then he takes this whole th- thing where they brought up uh tom vilsack who was uh secretary of agriculture under obama and sort of the reason they brought him up was because shirley sherrod who was like a legit uh you know like civil rights activist slash she you know worked for she, yeah she did work for the department of agriculture like basically helping you know poor farmers uh she she ba- she like was speaking at an event um talking about her experiences and talking about sort of her own struggles like having to overcome basically trying to help out like poor white farmers in Georgia that also would kind of act racist towards her and then breitbart.com which was a very young website at the time this is kind of one of their big uh stories back when andrew breitbart was alive before he fucking od'd Mm -hmm. on cocaine fucking dumb shit um they basically like did a total hit job and you know completely edited the thing out of context 
to make it seem like she was talking about how much she hated yeah, white people. Yeah, sorry, just and, to jump in, I want to I want to clarify this because there's some yeah. So there was the the so bright bright the video that they released. She was talking about like um, her struggle with helping out this poor white southern farmer who I guess like was also kind of racist and she was saying like you know i was debating about like how much i should actually help the guy given his you know views um and breitbart just spliced that part of her speech put it on repeat and it gave this image like hey here is this black lady who is working for the government who is uh not helping white people because she's racist but I think it was the NAACP got the full clip of her speech. And basically, she was saying, like, you know, I, she was showing how much that she was um, struggling to overcome, like, uh, previous, like, biases she had. And she basically came to the conclusion, she said, like, you know, over time, I realized, like, actually, uh, there are poor white people that need help, too. And really, this is a fight about, like, haves versus have-nots. And she said that she had sent... She also said that she sent the white farmer to, I guess, a white lawyer, and he didn't get any help from him. And then, so, so I guess, like, she went from that. But basically, the whole point that she was trying to say is she was talking about that specific experience she had and how much it, it, it changed her views. But they, this Breitbart cynically split it up to focus on, like, to make it seem like she was racist against white people when that was yeah. not what she said and appar- apparently yeah. i think um i think it was vilsack who tried to uh tell sh- sh- yeah no they threw they threw her under the yeah. bus they basically fired her and then once they realized because it it's fucking like breitbart let's be clear was like the first uh major media outlet of the quote-unquote all right alt right of kind of the new <laughs> but, online yeah before Nazi before movement. ben shapiro before laura loomer before like uh, that's where steve or, bannon, or, bannon or steve bannon like th- th- it was really like okay for for those of you who are listening to real song car hours and maybe like you know you're too young to remember like the late bush to early obama years like you know uh i think this is why like some of this historical memory actually matters like you know breitbart really laid the fucking helped lay the foundation for like the online alt-right shit that it has now spread to, you know, fucking QAnon and Pizzagate and shit like that. Like Breitbart played a huge role. And then the thing with the thing with Fox News is that because Fox News is TV, it's mostly for like boomer white people. But Breitbart was a kind of like helped. It's for the young right, Republican right. types. Breitbart helped like bring. It was like basically Fox News before so like a dumb. younger demographic of right wingers. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like people who listen to rock music right. and like I don't know. They they had all their verticals. There was like it was big everything, and I just remember finding it funny because one of them was big peace, <laughs> like like the peace lobby. But yes, but yes, when the, this absolute hit job, and I think like when I, I was blogging at the time, and I think I just called it like an act of terrorism because that's essentially what it was you know like a digital like digital terrorism uh they just yeah they basically sold her out then they tried to you know what once like she got exonerated with the actual clip they tried to offer a job back but it was too late but yeah that's the guy who biden wants to 
the Secretary of Agriculture. Vilsack, and also, yeah, so, Vil, so Biden's yeah, trying Tom to tap Vilsack, who basically helped can Shirley Sherrod. He's trying to put yeah. Vilsack on his cabinet. Yeah. And, and also, like, really did nothing for black farmers. And that was basically, like, the one thing they tried to push him on. But Biden wasn't going to have any of that either. Like, he wasn't going to give an inch. Like, which is, you know, what is the point? I mean, the point and the point, you know, probably I, I would be surprised if Biden's camp leaked it, honestly, because they're trying to do all these fucking triangulations to signal, you know, to the to the racist Republicans that are like his new best friends that uh that you know this is uh this this he's not going to take any crap from uh from the negroes um and yeah so he's like yeah you know you know you're i'm gonna get vil you're gonna i'm gonna put in vilsack and everything else and uh you're basically gonna eat shit and like it uh because uh nobody's done any nobody's done more for whatever than me that's that's one of that's uh old one of Joe's favorite phrase. No one, no one's done more for that than me. And like they base, you know, they told him like you have the executive power to you have the power to issue executive orders on all these things to create a database right. of you know yeah police shootings, killer cops. Um, that, that that was actually I'm glad you brought that up. Like that was that was one thing that stuck out to me because one of the questions was, was like you know you have the power to uh you know via executive order to create um a database on like a federal database on the number of police killings and um like the the part of the reason why why trump was able to push so many so many far right shit far far right wing authoritarian bullshit is through executive orders and another thing that they mentioned was that one executive order that trump had was um basically getting rid of quote-unquote critical race theory so like basically any kind of federal agency that had like any kind of diversity or anti-racist training that his trump basically like uh forbade that via executive order so they were saying like hey joe biden you can reverse this by executive order there's a lot like joe biden can do um through executive order but here's what joe biden said in response to that question i'm gonna i'm gonna read his full fucking quote so you guys can get a sense of this this you're gonna do your best biden impression nah i'm just gonna read it uh he's he said so there are some things that i'm going well it's too long for me to do the the impression so i'll just read the whole thing (laughs) so there's some things that i'm going to be able to do by executive order i'm not going to hesitate to do it but, but what i'm not going to do is i'm not going to do what used to vanita gupta you probably used to get angry with me uh, with me during the base when you have some of the people you were supporting saying on day one i'm gonna have an executive order to do this not within the constitutional authority i'm not going to violate the constitution executive authority that my progressive friends talk about is way beyond the bounds and as one of you said maybe it was you reverend al al sharpton whether it's far left or far right there is a constitution it's our only hope our only hope and the way to deal with it is where I have executive th- authority, I will use it to, to do undo every single damn thing this guy has done by executive authority, but I'm not going to exercise exor- executive thor- authority where it's a question, where I can come along and say, I can do with assault weapons. There's no executive authority to do away with that, and no one has fought harder to get rid of assault weapons than me. Me. But you can't do it by executive order. We do that 
Next guy comes along and says, well, guess what? By executive order, I guess everybody can have machine guns again. So we got to be careful. Now, here's here's the thing. Here's here's where like he kind of went into a straw man because like in, ter- in, terms of, in terms of the current climate of where the quote unquote left is, I don't see a lot of people on the left saying demanding Joe Biden to get rid of assault weapons by yeah no one really cares about right the things that the things that people have been calling for specifically are are one getting rid of uh student loan debt by executive authority and even um chuck schumer he was the one who flirted flirted that idea out that like yeah joe by chuck schumer said chuck chuck fucking schumer himself who was nowhere near progressive at, at all he was saying that joe biden could by executive order uh basically eliminate or cut down um student loan debt by executive order um and people jumped at on that and were like that'd be a great idea which makes sense during a fucking pandemic where poverty is getting worse and you have like a lot of millennials who are still in debt and a lot of gen z kids who are who are now graduating from college and and lots of and lots of black people who like have you know kind of statistically more Mm -hmm. debt because they try oftentimes they try paying student loan is like the whining of like rich white kids which like no rich white kids don't take out loans. no yeah because they don't they they have enough money where they don't have to take out those (laughs) kinds of loans in the first place so yeah um you know and and intergenerational wealth that stems back to slavery and all that and racism so like people were you know there are things a lot of things that joe biden could do by executive order i mean barack obama promise to close down guantanamo by executive order now he didn't make good on that promise but he did you know his executive order kind of laid the foundation for him to start um uh uh transferring and releasing more detainees out out of guantanamo so the point is like there's a lot of things that a president can do not just by executive order but like other kinds of laws i mean especially since the cold war and 9-11 there's been a lot of power given to the executive branch. Yeah. So this idea that like Joe Biden is so because he's trying to say like, oh, I'm it's... constrained by the Constitution. Like, yeah, this is the Constitution, but that's never gotten in the way. Like if a president wants to do something like they're not going to be like, oh, I can't do that because of the Constitution like that. It's a fucking right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like, uh, like, OK, Trump and Trump and Bush, well, especially with the like, go go back to like the Bush era. Like when Bush wanted to invade Iraq and do all the post nine eleven war on terror policies, the Constitution, like he was like, all right, well, I'm just gonna find some way to justify yeah, this. They, no, they you know, just, like, yeah, uh, by like re- by reinterpreting what we mean by the Constitution, and yeah, that went really far. And you know, there is legal pushback, but the point is that like, you know, when presidents want to do something, they will just do it. And they'll find some sort of constitutional reason that they can do it to justify it. So, but the thing is, like, there are things that Joe, very simple things like a national database on police killings, which is, that's very uh, 2014 Ferguson. That's not 2020. This is, it's a very 2014 demand. So, yeah, that's like, that's like the bare minimum. And he was saying that, like, oh, you know, I can't, you know, do all that because the Constitution. And then even, like, on top of that, he he also was poo-pooing the idea of defunding the defunding the police and said that um calls for uh yeah he said um that's how they beat the living hell out of us across the country saying that we're talking about defunding the police we're not no they that's not true republicans lost seats because you fucking 
or Democrats lost seats because you are de- down ballot poisoned, yes, right, Joe. Exactly. You're a fucking debt yeah. because your whole thing was fuck Democrat, fuck the left. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna chase after Republicans. And guess what? Yeah, you got a whole bunch of people who didn't vote down ballot. That was your fucking right. fault. And also, the Democrats who did win, they ran with progressive messages. And also, if you look back at one of our previous episodes, one one thing we had talked about is that like. Um, even though like Democrats lost seats, there were a lot of progressive ballot measures that won. So, yeah, like when it comes to certain things that are progressive that poll well, like single payer health care, um, things to especially rolling back mass incarceration, like in a lot of states, like some of those policies actually do do pretty well. Now, when it comes to defunding the police, okay, that's a separate question. Like, yeah, there's probably some people who. You know, uh, when they hear defund the police, they think of like anarchy, and that also means like, okay. Well, well, they they I mean they have the that they have a bad idea of what that right. means because no Democrat with a national platform gets up and defends it. So, like, yeah, my pa- my patience is low with these right. people it's, because yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. like it's like 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 the like it's so fucking racist to sit there. Like, and act like all those people are asking you to do something unconstitutional. Like, 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 I know you're signaling not, you're not talking to those people. You're talking to, you know, the imagined white audience. Like I said, he, his camp probably leaked it, but, uh, like that's so like that's, and, but they always do that. Whenever you like, whenever like a white politician sits down, you know, with black people and listens to their demands, they always act like, oh, you're pushing me. You're asking for something that's not realistic. But also to insinuate that what you're asking for is something that's basically criminal. Like, oh, you want me to violate the Constitution just because you're so sad that your people keep getting killed. This is America, buddy. Like, you need to buck up. You know, no one's done more for you than and they I never, have. They never like, say that to white voters. You ever notice that? They never say it to white voters or white yeah. working class people. If anything... Like, if you hear the discourse in America, it's like, how can we win over white working class voters? I never hear them saying to white working class voters, oh, I can't do that because it's unconstitutional. I don't hear white Republicans saying that to white white working class directly, like, oh my god, like, how dare you, you know? I mean, yeah, like, they might say certain certain things like, uh, you know, um, tax cuts are good for da-da-da, but, like, this level of condescension that Joe Biden is displaying, like, there's something very special... And I was saying this to you, Peter, before we recorded. There's something very special, I think, about Joe Biden's contempt specifically for black people that I think was on full display with this with this audio. Like, there's a kind of and and not just with Joe Biden, but I actually think Joe Biden actually speaks for a lot of mainstream Democrats. By the way, in this audio, yeah. so it's not just him. Like, I think he actually does speak... Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure he speaks for, like, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and some of the others that, like... Yeah, all, all the all the actual, like, staffers, all the fucking... Whenever someone talks about blank world, like, like all just all the Beltway ghouls, like, that's where their actual mentality is, is basically, like, Joe Bidenism. Like, that, just because they are Democrats, like, they... Like, that, this is actually how they approach it. I mean... It's the Democratic Party. Like, this was the party of slave owners. Like, there's, you can't just completely get rid of right. that in 50 years. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, um, you know, like, also there is, uh, this was back in June, but, um, even Joe Biden said, like, on his, 
quote-unquote racial equity plan. He's not going to include reparations. So, like, that was already an early sign that he wasn't going to do shit for black people. And I didn't I didn't expect anyone to do anything on reparations. But, like, you know, he just made himself clear, like, yeah, I'm not going to include reparations on... Which is funny because, like, there were some, like, black liberals who were chiding Bernie Sanders for not supporting reparations. But, like, hey, Joe Biden didn't support it. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of pushback from those same people on, you know, Joe Biden's lack of support for reparation but this is like this is this is you know what one thing that really another thing that pissed me off about this audio is that after joe biden won and i think yeah we talked about it um in a previous episode after joe biden won he literally thanked black people in black america for saving him and sticking by him like he he thanked black people directly because it on that level is true like i don't think joe biden would have won with that kind of black turnout for I uh, I mean I mean his campaign was like an absolute disaster. Oh, totally. uh, until South Carolina, like he came in like fourth in like Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like no, it was like like though like those patronage networks that I don't he didn't really ever do anything to deserve, but you know are the kinds of things that the Democratic Party relies on. Uh, you know, and then of course Obama himself, like they, yeah, they that all got activated to put him over the line. He didn't fucking fight for anyone's vote. I mean, it was like like I Biden is the perfect example of the white sovereign of the entitled white patriarch. He doesn't even understand why he's there. Like literally, like his brain is so jelly that he doesn't even understand why he's there. So maybe that's part of why he's angry. <laughs> you know his. His uh, his decrepitude. I always wonder if his decrepitude undermines his racism. But apparently, for like, if you're like an old white dude, like the racist part of the brain is the last part to go. Um, so it's still there. He's still he's still as racist as he's ever been. But um, yeah, he he just he just doesn't he doesn't know why he's there. He doesn't he doesn't believe any of these people are worth his time. You know, he's gonna be the fucking president. You know, he's got a I don't know what the fuck he. He's got to figure out what poor country is going to get bombed next. Um, And, you know, what, how we're going to pass off, like, cutting Social Security as saving it um, and uh, and all that fun stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, when, yeah, like, yeah, when they brought up Vilsack, he just immediately pivoted to defund the police. It's like he doesn't even understand like he's not literally not even listening. Yeah, he's literally not. No, even he's listening. not, and like he's not promising like any like major po- progressive police quote unquote reforms. Um, and it's just this is this is, going back to what I was saying about how he thanked black people for basically voting for him and saving him, and like that that was the thing that really like there was right after the um, Biden victory, people were like. Oh my God! Thank you, Black people, for saving America. Because without you, like we just beat Cheeto. Like there is all this fucking really. You know what it is? It was just like this liberal paternalism toward Black people. Like that's that's the thing. Like I, I was just thinking about it, and like what, what what was like kind of pissing me off about it? It was this level of paternalism that people, how people view Black people. Like there's a level of paternalism that can easily get into contempt 
that like when people when people were viewing like thanking black people for saving America, it was coming from paternalism because like these are like and, and Joe Biden is is a good example because like mm-hmm. in this in this audio, he's basically spitting in black people's face. So on one hand he's thanking us. I mean, I didn't. I didn't vote for him. I didn't. I didn't vote for anybody for president. By the way, just to be clear, so I didn't. I didn't really help him. But I mean, my community, black folks. Yeah, like when I say we, I mean we as a community. Um, you know, uh, uh, basically saved his campaign, and people were like, oh my god, thank you, black people, for saving us from fascism. And it's like when we make actual demands for our community and to and to end the injustices and oppression that are, are, are facing our community joe biden was like huh, fuck you like what do you think i'm gonna do what <laughs> you think i'm gonna defund the police what 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 i i i got what i gotta i gotta i gotta increase the pentagon budget what are you talking about and, and so it's just it's yeah. like there there's and then also like this um kind of discourse about um allies i mean look look where black lives matter is at i mean actually speaking of black lives matter let me read their tweets because this is pretty fucking rich uh so black lives matter like the national organization by the way the national organization is different than the local chapters and there's been some ideological differences between the national and the locals so they tweeted out uh on december 9th Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Representative Cedric Richmond met with several civil rights groups yesterday. Black Lives Matter, as the largest social and justice movement in history, was not invited. And here, they keep going. Uh, the night of their victory, we sent Joe Biden and Kamala Harris a letter requesting a meeting. It has now been 30, 32 days, and we have yet to receive a response. To set up a meeting with civil rights leaders without BLM is unacceptable. And this is part of the letter. I I, I want to read uh, <laughs> here. Here is here is uh, what Black Lives Matter, Matter said. This is signed by Patrice Cullors on behalf of Black Lives Matter Global Network. Um, they said, "Congratulations on your election to the presidency and vice presidency of the United States." Like so many, we are re- relieved that the Trump era in government is coming to a close. At as we celebrate his electoral demise, we also know that his political exit does not ensure an end to the intolerable con- conditions faced by black people in America. Um, and I'm just going to read like bits and parts of the whole letter, but we are requesting a meeting with you both to discuss the expectations that we have for your administration and the commitments that must be made to black people. Um, without the resounding support of black people, we would be saddled with a very different electoral outcome. In short, black people won th- this election. Uh, and then we heard your blah, 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 blah. They say all this other stuff. Um, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris, both of you discuss addressing systemic racism as central to your election campaigns. That's true. Yeah, they both, Biden and Harris, address discuss, uh, addressing systemic racism. Um, and also the, the audio that we you know just talked about just um, disproved that. Uh, both of you also expressed regrets regarding your record on issues impacting black people. The best way to ensure that you remedy past missteps and work towards a more just future for black people is to take your direction from black grassroots organizers. Da 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 da. So <laughs> they wrote this letter on November 7th, didn't get a response. And then the other tweet is We deserve a table, a seat at the table. The 63,747 people who signed our petition want us there too. And the reason why I bring this up is because 
like uh, the black lives matter like it's been turned into um representation politics and liberal seat at the table like it, it seemed like it went from a very militant and i would say even revolutionary energy to to challenge the system of policing and, and racism in america in 2014 to now like you know um the global network of black lives matter demanding a seat at the table with joe biden who was one of the primary architects of the 94 crime bill and the mass incarceration system that black lives matter was founded to protest so and to me like this audio shows just the folly of that strategy of like you know we need to get a seat at the table because like okay well one you don't own the table and two what leverage do you have like right now like black people in america don't really have that much leverage collectively as a community like we have visibility when it comes to our issues like we have that but that's not leverage that's not power like we have visibility in like you know yeah there are movies and shows about like oh it's black people and representation it's cool like hollywood cares about race and sort of (laughs) not really and like we have all this like representation this and representation that and diversity and inclusion and da 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 but that doesn't really equal power and empowerment for the masses of black people and yeah the masses of black people and our communities are still freaking suffering and this uh, so i think like basically my response to this would be um those of you who have been paying attention, like, this is not a surprise. Like, I'm not surprised that Joe Biden was what he said. Because, like, yeah, this is Joe Biden. What do you expect? Uh, but it's it's a useful case right, study. Yeah. It's a it's a great example of, like, this is exactly how it is, how what's going to happen. This, this is the tone that's going to be taken by the president the next four years is fuck you. You're going to do what I want anyway, and no one's ever done more for you than me, so shut up. And that, and I, you know, I hope that, uh, there's going to be some consequences for taking that kind of tone and, uh, you know, basically adopting that, that set of behaviors. I, I honestly do think that, like, the situation in the United States is more precarious than these Democrats actually realize because especially coming out of this pandemic where like they literally just basically said, screw it. Who gives a shit how many people die? Um, And you know, like what, what we're not, and no, you're not getting any help for being in the worst economy since the depression. And that's not, you know, that's not really going to be any better during the summer, you know, when, uh, when all this shit, tends to heat up and so i i don't i i don't know but um things are just much more i think things are much more unstable on the ground level and the question of how exactly how much horror can the system absorb uh with if they're taking an approach like this they are going to find out and it's not going to be pretty but there's only so much people can do when you, you basically you know spit on them for hundreds of years subject them to like you know all of the most horrifying you know 
behaviors and brutalities and then basically say shut up and be grateful um so i you know i i, I think like um yeah like th- this again like shows just the whole the the folly of like liberal representation politics the whole like representation matters like no like representation doesn't matter on that level like representation does not equal power like you can still be represented and disempowered and oppressed at the same time and i think like that's a lesson that honestly should people should have picked up during the obama years because again like tamir rice and a lot of those police shootings in the first wave of black lives matter happened under obama and i think like one thing that people uh um there is a brief moment where people were kind of talking about it but it didn't really get pushed on which is like what does it mean to have like this level of systemic racism under while having a black president for two terms basically what it means is that like it doesn't matter like how much representation you you have within the mainstream political system of america it's not going to change the overall system itself fundamentally like you can still have black people and other non-whites serving the interest of the system as it was built which is i think what obama did so and speaking of joe biden i mean joe uh, barack obama is just has almost an equal level of contempt for black people as joe biden so in a way it makes sense like those that those two were but like were partners um president and vice president because yeah like neither of them really give a fuck about black people but i think like the real lesson is that like it doesn't matter like how much representation you have if you're being represented in a system that is fundamentally built to oppress you then no amount of representation is going to change that it just won't and so like there is this sort of um i would say like uh naive desire that like oh if we just get like the system to love me by having like me be reflected in it and have it represent me like it's just a facade that's all it is. It's just, it's just a freaking facade covering up the ugly, ugly reality of what that system is built to do, which is that the system is built to keep black people at the bottom. Like that's it. That's that's you're just you're no your representation doesn't change that fundamental reality. Now what can't well what's the thing that could change it? Well, like that means you're going to have to ha- have uh, you know organized power from the outside to change that dynamic like there's a power dynamic at place like you do have you do need to build up power from the outside to reverse that power dynamic and to uh, yeah get progressive radical and revolutionary change so i think like really the next phase like if if this you know people are going to take anything from this 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 fucking audio clip of joe biden just telling black people to eat shit is that like really you know the Black people in general, before I speak on the left, I think black people should, should uh, need to get more organized amongst ourselves. And then, like, whatever is called the American left, because I don't even know anymore, like, what the left really is in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, in other countries, there are left-wing movements that are doing real shit, like Chile, like the Global South. Like, the, people are doing real shit around the world. The quote-unquote left in America is just, like, I don't know, like, kind of a joke at this point. So it's like, okay, well, what what does it mean to be the left in America? What do we want? And how are we going to organize and have enough power to get what we want? That's the thing. The left in America has no power. We're not strong. Like, we have ideas and we can talk online and own the fucking libs. But yeah, owning libs is not going to do shit. It's not going to put fucking food on the table. It's not going to prevent police from 
shooting black people in the back. So I think like really the thing is is the is 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 people who are already on board just need to start getting more organized than they already are. And I think that the the same thing applies for black people. Like we do have organization people doing who are doing important work. And like I said, the local chapters of Black Lives Matter are doing important work. But I think we have to just get like more organized on a level um than than we were before. And and uh yeah, I'm gonna criticize Sanders. I think a lot of energy was wasted on trying to get Sanders elected and look what happened. You know? Like this is where we're at. And there is a lot of and I think Obama, the Obama years because everybody was just so in love with him and people didn't want to criticize him. Uh, yeah, he sucked a lot of energy out of the quote-unquote left in America. And again, this is where we're at right now. Like, the left is pretty weak. I, I would say, I wouldn't say actually, uh, let me amend my statement. I don't I don't know if like black people are disorganized, but I think we're kind of um, social, socially fragmented. There's a lot of fragmenta- fragmentation and misorganization. Like, I, I would say that like there's orga- black organizations and activist groups that are doing important work, but I think there's there's uh, a lot of it's issue by issue and it's very um, fragmented. Again, to use the fingers and fist analogy, like you have all these groups that are doing good work, but they're operating like fingers, but they're not balling up and forming a fist. That's the end. I think that fist has to be black power. It has to be like a new form of black power in the 20, 21st century. So. Yeah, like, I just think we have to go from Black Lives Matter to actual black power. Like, a new form of black power in t- for the realities and conditions of the 21st century. And then whatever, like, you know, the quote-unquote left in it is in America, like, yeah, people have to determine, like, okay, what does it mean to be of the left in America? What does that mean? Because to me, if you're on the left, I think being anti-imperialist is a pretty important plank of being on the left but to be honest it doesn't seem like a lot of people on the left actually agree with that so that sounds like something uh you know if people care about this left project and having like a quote-unquote multiracial coalition or multiracial working class coalition which yeah it's a good idea but like where the fuck is it i don't see it so i think like you know we just have to kind of get honest about where the hell we're at and then organize on that basis uh because yeah like I mean, we tried with Bernie. Where the fuck did that go? We tried with AOC. Where is that? What has the squad accomplished, especially during a pandemic? Where has that gotten us? We don't. We don't. We don't have time. Yeah, I I, I won't get into that, but I'll just sort of tease it. But just to kind of wrap up, and we're already at like an hour and fourteen. But and I do actually want to give a quick shout out now that I'm saying this. Uh, There's this article in in these times. The headline is. With gigs canceled and no relief, musicians form a na- a nationwide union. Um, so this is this is I think some like positive news. Because um, yeah, like it's good to like you know get some inspiration when when things seem so bleak. Um, and yeah, like before the pandemic, I used to perform at a lot of live shows and open mics, and uh, you know those all they've all been shut down since uh, COVID hit because of social distancing. But um, that also means like a lot of working music, working musicians have basically lost a lot of work. Um, in the article, it says on March 25th, hundreds, hundreds of musicians circulated a letter to Congress demanding the expansion of unemployment benefits under the CARES Act. The letter also demanded relief regardless of immigration status 
national rent and mortgage cancellation, uh, Medicare for all, and funding for the Postal Service and a national endowment for the arts. And so there's a lot of momentum created for created by that letter. And so on April 22nd, uh, according to the article, a group of about 20 musicians met virtually to discuss solidarity and how to build a more just industry, inaugurating the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. And so, like, there's other musician unions, but this seems like a kind of, um, kind of like the IWW, I think. Um, like, let me look at their, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, so they have, like, Justice at Spotify. That gets, that'll get into, like, a whole other topic about, like, how Spotify severely underpays musicians. But, um, uh, it's on their, on their about page, um, uh, they say, we believe that the only way to transform music is to collectively take resources and power from the few wealthy companies that dictate our industry. We invite all music workers, including musicians, DJs, producers, road crew, and others to join us. We also aim to use our strength as music workers to join in the broader struggles of our fellow workers across the globe. We stand for Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, abolishing ICE, destroying borders, the freeing of incarcerated people and more. Music workers are workers, and it's time to get organized and join the fight. I think that's a, that's a good statement. Like I like that, and I, uh, this seems, yeah, more progressive than um, that. Yeah, that's pretty radical. Um, yeah, best of luck, because I think one of the reasons uh, we haven't had any good uh, music to match the tenor of the times is just the structure of incentives of the industry itself at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, I wanted to mention that bit of, bit of good news. Um, shout out to the UMAW, the union of musicians and allied workers. So um, I think, yeah, like stuff get getting um, organized on a greater level than we were before is going to be important because um yeah, I mean this that Biden audio clip I think is is a good case study of like how much leverage the left lacks and how much leverage that Black America and Black people lack. Like that's really the thing is like we don't have leverage on the scale that we're going to need. So we're going to have to build that leverage from the ground up, and I think that's just that's going to be the way to go. Um, and I think like being uh wary of um how often movements can get sucked into the system and that's how they get weakened and i think uh black lives matter is actually a good example of that like a very vibrant social movement that got siphoned into the democratic mainstream and then you know this is this is what we get the biden audio so yeah i think that's it that's that's a good note to end on do you have anything yep. else to say peter or no it's all right past two o'clock i gotta go to bed all right yeah uh anyway so we'll just sign out so our normal sign out keep the faith and stay dangerous see ya peace